0: Well, I want you to think about this. 2,000 years ago, before the church had steeples and pews and aisles, what did it have? The church only had kitchens and living rooms. That's the power of hospitality. So I invite you to think about your most memorable meal ever the ones that really sticks in your mind. Was it the location? Was it the people? Was it the food itself? Probably the most memorable I had was about 25 years ago. My wife and I were in Mozambique, the third poorest country of the world. We were going to have lunch in a small village, remote village with the pastor and his wife. When we got there, it was kind of the quintessential village you might think of in Africa. It was mud huts and thatch roofs. And as we entered into the home, there in the center was the dining room table. And on it was Fanta orange. I remember that because I I thought, man, they really must have gone all out to provide that for us. And uh, in the middle of the, the table, there were all sorts of dishes, displaced uh, cutlery and mismatched uh, plates. And what we found out is that the pastor's wife had gone to everyone in the village and kind of got a cup here, a plate there, a, a fork there. And we were really eating at a table, which was the amalgam of the whole village. And as we sat down to eat, there was rice on the table, there were vegetables and this roasted chicken in the middle that had been roasted uh, on a spit outside. after we prayed, my wife as the honored guest got to get the first portion of the chicken, which meant that without a fork or a knife, she was to grab kind of the part of the chicken that she wanted. And here was my dear wife struggling to kind of get a chicken leg off the chicken she was pulling and pulling and it wasn't coming. And so I gallantly like tried to help her and I'm like trying to rip this piece of chicken off, hoping that the chicken doesn't fly all over the room. And then after it was her, then it was me, and uh, the poor person at the end like got all the hand-grubbed chicken uh, that they wanted. (laughs) And we had delightful conversation, and we enjoyed the people who were there, and we learned a lot. And at the end of that meal, I said to my wife, we know nothing about hospitality. We know everything about entertaining, but not a lot sometimes about hospitality. And entertaining kind of is designed to make us look good as the quintessential host or hostess. And hospitality is all about making the guests feel welcome. And when we were there sitting around the table, we felt so important. We felt such a great welcome. And it was a little taste of heaven, of what it was going to be like in heaven with people together. And so before the church had steeples and pews and rows, it had kitchens and living rooms. And you can't get too far in the book of Acts in the New Testament about the growth of the early church without realizing that the way it grew was through hospitality. People inviting and welcoming and making everyone feel a part. And that the people who realized that Jesus welcomed them into his life, that Jesus had open arms, that our heavenly father welcomes us. The early church, it was eager to welcome people, whether they were sinners or saints, into their home to show them the great welcome of God. And to be honest, most of us, I think, really wrestle with kind of self uh, regret with us, with a self-rejection that we wonder if we're really worth anything or valuable. Does anybody really care? And when someone comes to us and says, hey, do you want to have a cup of coffee? Hey, would you sit with me? Hey, can we spend some time together? It makes us feel loved. And so as we continue our journey, uh, as we talk about what we the church is like, about what it is to not just go to church, but really be the church, we, we wanna talk about hospitality. We've looked at the power of worship, that we're a gospel form community, that we're here to transform our homes, our city, our world. That Sawyer talked last week, that we're to grow in our faith and be a disciple making community, becoming like Jesus. And today we wanna talk about just how the church really grew through the power of hospitality. And when you look at it, sometimes people think, well, hospitality, that's not significant. That's not uh, important. That's maybe for uh, you know the food channel or something like that. But over and over, uh, the writers in the New Testament talked about the power of hospitality. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like obviously they were doing it, but they were not very happy about it. And Paul says contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Like you've got to work at it, strive, make a difference. And and you see all throughout that the letters that the writers speak to the church, there's something important about hospitality. And yet we think, oh, you know, that's for us. That's beneath it, that that's for another group of people. Maybe that's not me. Uh, what I want to just show to us today is just the power of hospitality in the call to hospitality uh, to all of us and, and to just challenge us about our own welcome when other people come into our life. Mark Buchanan, pastor, he says, Western hospitality is inviting friends over for a few hours. That's kind of what we think. Oh, people are coming that we know they're coming for a few hours. Biblical hospitality is persuading strangers to stay one more night. Just, hey, I don't know you, but stay one more night divine hospitality, God's hospitality in our life is pursuing our enemies at great personal cost to turn them into sons and daughters and to welcome them into your home. And really what hospitality is, it's the power of the gospel. It's a reflection of the gospel, of turning the hearts of people who are once against God enemies of God, sinful people towards Him. So today we wanna look just at three things that that hospitality points to our hospitable God, points to our hospitable Savior, and it points to our hospitable heavenly home. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus chapter 19. And uh, this is uh, God's word, God's kind of laws, rules, to Israel as they were entering the promised land. They had grown as a nation. These were Abraham's descendants. They'd grown as a nation under slavery in Egypt. They had been political prisoners uh, there for centuries. God raises up Moses to lead them out. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness and they're about to enter the promised land and God's gonna tell them how his nation, how his people should live. And notice what he says in verse 33, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, Don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were once foreigners in Egypt and I am the Lord your God. And here is God saying, when you enter the land, when you're starting this new nation, you wanna make sure everyone feels welcome. And if there is a stranger, a foreigner that's there, then you invite them in and you make them feel that you are apart, that no one should feel different. And you should do this, God says, for two reasons. The first, is because you were once strangers in Egypt. You know what it was like to live in an inhospitable place. And, and actually the word hospitality, kind of the Greek form uh, of the word is really that love for strangers. It's phileo xenia, philio love, xenia, people, strangers, um, stranger danger or, or the fear of people uh, is, is like uh, xenophobia, right? We're afraid of people. I feel like xenia, that's the word, is the love of people and the love of strangers, uh, which is really hard in our culture because what do we teach? We teach people stranger danger. We keep, teach our kids, right, to stay away, particularly when young and for legitimate reasons. But then as we get older, like how do we welcome, how do we open people back up. And Paul or the author God says here in Leviticus, I want you to remember you were once right strangers in Egypt. You were not welcome. It was an inhospitable place. And instead of using that to say well we're not going to welcome anybody or it's just going to be all about us, build on that experience and be welcoming to everybody. And, and all of us, I think, know that at some point. We know what it's like to be eating alone in a cafeteria or starting a new job. Is like anybody gonna talk to me or moving to a new country or a new place? And, and how are people gonna welcome me? And use that experience, right? Remember what it's like when you came into a church for the very first time and you're like, is anybody gonna talk to me? What's that like? Use that when you see someone maybe that you haven't seen coming into church, uh, welcoming them, inviting them in. Second reason he says to do that is because he is God. I'm the Lord your God. That you be hospitable to people because you once knew it was like to be strangers, but I am God. And what we see from the beginning to the end of the Bible is just a hospitable God. God creates Adam and Eve and what? Puts them in the Garden of Eden and says what? Hey, all this food, any tree, anything here, you can have, not these two trees, but anything from here, you enjoy and you eat from that. We see the hospitality of God. And even when Adam and Eve sinned and rejected what God had said and said, that's not best. We want this fruit. I mean, imagine being how inhospitable that is. You're given everything that you can eat, but just don't touch this, this is kind of reserved for me. And you go only for this, right? You reject the hospitality, go only for this. Even when they rejected God's hospitality, God said, "What? I'm gonna provide a way of forgiveness. I'm gonna clothe you, I'm gonna make skins. I'm (coughs) gonna provide an area for you uh, to be in. And throughout all of The Old Testament is God being hospitable. He uh, sends uh, Israel into the land flowing with milk and honey, a very hospitable land. He says, uh, David says in the Psalm, God what prepares a meal before me, prepares a table even in the presence of my enemies. Jesus talked about the, the prodigal father, the father with this welcoming love who was so hospitable to his son, even after his son spit on him and rejected him. And then at the end of scripture, we see God inviting us to an eternal home in heaven that's prepared for us. And here the Old Testament says, point to a hospitable God. See, what do people sometimes think that God is like? They think he's kind of like narrow-minded, and he's pointing at, <laughs> at all the things we've done wrong, and he's angry at us, and right? And writer of the scriptures say no point to a hospitable God. And because of that, we see people in the Old Testament practicing hospitality. It was a a vital thing in the Old Testament culture. Abraham invited strangers into his home. Lot, even we read, strangers appeared at the gate uh, of the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and and Lot invited them in. Now he was a little too hospitable maybe, but he was hospitable. We see the widow of Zarephath, who has virtually nothing, sees the prophet Elijah. And him home. And so out of the hospitality of God, we live a hospitable life. And that's what was needed in the Old Testament. There wasn't, uh, you know, booking.com or, uh, you know, VRBO where you could just look up a place to stay or make a reservation for the evening. You were traveling and you'd go to a city and, and you were at the mercy of the people who lived there. And often there were kind of three steps. You were traveling, you would go to kind of the city or the town gate, and you would kind of hang out at the gate and hope that someone would welcome you or invite you in. When you showed up, you secondly, you'd often like have a a reference letter that people of the city would kind of check you out. They weren't just gonna invite any enemy or anything into their home, but they would check it out and you would have a letter, maybe of reference from somebody or something that would say, hey, this person's not gonna steal your stuff. And then the person was to stay for just a couple nights. They weren't to stay for a long period of time. The host was to, provide a banquet, celebrate with some food, uh, provide a couple nights shelter, and you weren't though to overstay your welcome. And hospitality was a, a divine practice almost for people. And people would open their homes, particularly even to strangers. The problem is our values in our culture today don't value hospitality. We value expediency. Right, We value where we say, oh, I don't have time, I need to get things done to, to really prepare for someone to come, that's a lot of work. We, we just value expediency, I, I don't have time to cook, maybe we'll just go out to eat, which is fine, that's hospitality. Secondly, we also value our privacy. And we value our home and we value our space and think, well, this is ours. And uh, <coughs> when I was young, what, we had people drop in our house all the time. I mean, sometimes at night we'd get piled in the car and we'd go drop into somebody's house and we think we panic today, right? If our doorbell rings, right? Maybe as little kids, they run to the doorbell because they're excited who might be here. As adults, the doorbell, rings, we panic, right? We sometimes hide. How many times have you actually I've hit? It's like, don't anybody move, there's somebody there. Don't let them know that we're here because we're afraid. Right? We love our privacy, and we're not sure we want people in here to see us. And, and we value image, appearance, over authenticity. And we don't want people to come into our home if it's not perfect. We don't want people uh, invited into our life if, if it's uh, not everything that we want people to see. And uh, I also remember as, as a kid uh, going to you know the store on Saturday, trying to get the week's groceries or whatever, and you go to the store and what would you see? I mean, you may not believe this, but you would see like all the women in the store, probably with their hair and curlers and a kerchief over there, Hair and they were getting their hair ready for Sunday. They wanted to look their best Sunday. They didn't care how people saw them on Saturday. Sunday was the Lord's Day and they wanted people to look good. And (coughs) times passed, people weren't so conscious about their appearance and how did they look and what do people think about them, am I perfect? But now in our Facebook and Instagram, social media world, we don't want anybody in, we value appearance but sometimes what people need is authenticity. They need to see the real us. You're welcome in our home, and this is home, and you're here, and that this is what hospitality does. It welcomes anybody and says, you matter, you're important. And hospitality shows the power of the Father's love. I mean, just think about it. This is the good news. This is the gospel, that there was a dad whose son snubbed him, says, I don't want your life. I don't want uh, to work on this place anymore. I don't want to be around your friends. I just want your money. So give me my money. Give me my inheritance. And he ran off and spent it, had nothing. And after doing that, he comes home. And he thinks, I'm going to be able to just work in the father's farm But the father does what? Welcomes him, puts new clothes on him, puts a ring on his finger, has a banquet, has a celebration, say, hey, you belong. This is the father. And people understand who our father is through our hospitality. But our hospitality also points to a hospitable savior who Jesus is. In the beginning of the Gospels, in John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The, the Word, Logos, it, it refers really to Jesus. Is in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then a little bit later in the chapter, it says, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and dwelt among us. He made his home among us. I love the, the message translation says that, that Jesus kind of became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. And this is the good news that God, even because we have sinned and rejected God and pointed away that that God sent his son Jesus to move right in to our neighborhood to be like us. And he knows us, he understands us, he understands our needs and our wants and our cares and our weaknesses and our foibles. And you look at the life of Jesus, he invited anyone into his life. He didn't just hang out with certain people and not those people, but he looked for everybody and welcomed everybody. And everybody knew that they could be part with him. Now, in the gospels, uh, Jesus gives a couple times what we would call his mission statements. Like, why did Jesus come? What was his purpose in coming? In Luke chapter 19, it says, for the son of man, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Who are the lost? People far from God. Who are the lost? People that don't know that God really cares. Who are the lost? People that... Uh, that have just kind of shunned God. And what did Jesus say? I've come to seek and save them. I've come to seek and save those who think that God doesn't want anything for them or that they don't really matter to God. Then in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, <coughs> it, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus says, I've come. Part of my mission is that I'm gonna die. I'm gonna give my life as a ransom for many. We can't pay for all our mistakes and our sin and our rejection and our hurt of God. Jesus died on the cross to do that. He paid a price for us. And because of that, Jesus said, I've come not to be served. I'm not here that people can serve me, but I've come to serve by seeking and saving the lost and by being a ransom. So three mission statements. Here's why he's come. But then Luke says this, the Son of Man has come, kind of using that same terminology, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here is Luke, he said, (laughs) that Jesus said the Son of Man has come what? Eating and drinking. His mission statement was I've come to seek and save the lost, to be a ransom, to serve. That's his mission statement. Son of man has come eating and drinking. What's that? That's how. How did he accomplish his mission? It was through hospitality. It was through meeting with people. It was through fellowship, eating with people. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, 15 times, 15 times out of 24 chapters, like 15 times we see Jesus at a meal. And in the Gospel of Luke almost, the whole book is either Jesus is going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. It's kind of in between. It really is just about him eating with people. And and we see him accomplishing his mission through that. He goes one day to Jericho and he says to Zacchaeus, this uh, man who was kind of an out social outcast, although he had lots of money, Jesus said, hey, let's do lunch, let's have dinner. And he goes to his house. And out of that, Jesus welcomes him into his life and Zacchaeus changes. This is what God does. Now, sometimes people say, you know, I don't have a lot in common with Jesus. And you may be watching you think, I don't have a lot in common with Jesus. Jesus loved eating and drinking. I bet you love eating and drinking. We probably have more in common with Jesus than what we think. And so the way, the way that Jesus really reached and touched people was often just sitting and having a meal and being hospitable in the sense of welcoming into his life. He wasn't the host like saying, hey, I'm gonna show you a really good time. He's saying, this is all about you. And Jesus would teach too about hospitality. He was at a meal one time and he looked around because he was with some Pharisees, some other religious leaders, and he thought, oh, they're all kind of the same. And he said to his host in Luke 14, 23, you see here in Luke again, he's at a meal. He says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And here's Paul, or here's Jesus. He's really kind of differentiating of between entertaining and, and hospitality. He looks around and he says, why do you have these people here? And I think he's saying to the host, look, you've got these people here because you're scratching their back. They're gonna scratch yours. You're doing something nice because you expect to be repaid. You want to be invited Somewhere you want to be part uh, of the in crowd. And, and Jesus says, let me tell you something. Like when you invite, don't invite people who can repay you. Just invite people who can, who you're going to give. This is hospitality. It's not about me. It's about the making the people feel at home and welcome, not about being repaid. And the people would say, hey, Jesus, that's not good business sense, right? Because I'm going to take you to lunch because I'm hoping you're going to buy something for me or I'm going to do something else. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what it is. Because the Son of Man came what? Not to be served, not to serve, or, or not to be served, but to serve. This is the gospel that it's giving. And Jesus looks around and he's looking around at this dinner party and he says, hey, there's some things missing. Right, where are the crutches? Where are the people in wheelchairs? Where's the blind? Where's the new residents? Where's the international students? Where are people? Let me ask you, when was the last time you invited people who A, couldn't repay you or were very different from you? This is the gospel. See, often what we think, uh, like what we think is, I'm going to do something nice and, and hope that we get something maybe in return. It may not be what we gave out, but we hope that we give something. And I don't know. Have you ever like done something and, and maybe been a little disappointed because you've not been repaid and nobody really said thank you or uh, nobody really responded well? I, I call that fatherhood right? You give and you give and you give to your kids and what do they want? Well, dad, can we have 20 bucks more? Like I need a little bit more. If you want to do something nice and get something in return, have a dog because dogs will always repay you. Don't give a cat. They'll just sneer at you. But, but a dog will always come running and, and being glad that you're there. And, and Jesus says, this is hospitality. There's something about radical hospitality where we just give because we want people to feel at home. We want people to know that they matter and that they really are a part of who we are. And so here what we see is that radical hospitality, it points to Jesus. It points us to a savior. Now actually, um, one of the things, the writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, he, he said this verse, this verse about Jesus inviting people. He said, it's the most, he said, unapplied verse in our life. It's the one that we don't do. And you know, we look at all sorts of verses and the Bible says, oh, we should do this, we should do that, but we don't do this verse. Isn't that kind of funny? And, and that probably is true. This isn't a verse that we really focus on. And sometimes because we may look, oh, that's too easy, or that's not spiritual enough, or maybe really because it's too costly to invite people who are quite different from us to show them the welcome of God. And what we would say, we go back to what we talked about earlier. It's like, well, it's too costly. My my home is my castle. I'm the king or the queen of my castle. No, God is the king. God's the king. Or we would say, no, 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 my home, like that's my refuge. Like you don't understand Terry, like my home, it's my refuge. No, the Psalmist says God is our refuge. Our home's not a refuge, God's our refuge. And you know, John Calvin, uh, uh, Martin Luther, they, they often said there's, there's kind of more than one kind of conversions in the sense, there's a conversion of our heart to Jesus, a conversion of our spirit to him. But then they say sometimes there's like a third or fourth conversion of our wallet when we finally really surrender our resources, our money to him. I would argue that one of the things that's really in our culture most difficult to surrender to God is our home, right? The most valuable thing we own, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of of asset. And what do we do? That's mine, that's my refuge. So let me ask you, and maybe this is the point for today. Have you surrendered your home, your house to God? Is it yours or is it his? because it may just be the place where people come and hear the good news of Jesus, that even though they are far from God, that they're sinners, that they they, they don't know God, that God loves them. And thirdly, what hospitality does is it points, it points it points to heaven, it points to an earthly home. And we see this is what all of scripture is about. In the book of Genesis, the very beginning, God, creates the Garden of Eden, puts Adam and Eve there, says you are home. Adam and Eve reject their home. And what does God do? God spends all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, preparing a way for Jesus to come and provide a way, what? Back home. And in the last book of the scripture, the book of Revelation that describes that home. It describes a home uh, of what it will be like. This is what heaven says, the hospitality of God, that there's a wedding banquet and a feast, that there is a streams of living water, there are trees that always bear fruit, that, that Jesus is what? Preparing a home, a mansion for him. The beginning of the Bible talks about the hospitality of God creating the Garden of Eden and ends with the hospitality of God creating a new heaven and a new earth for us. And how do we experience that? How do we experience it? It's because the world was inhospitable to Jesus. Now just think about it for a moment. We looked at the verses of John and it said, you know, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. What's it also say in John 1? That the world rejected him. They didn't want him. They didn't need him. And all throughout his life, Jesus is healing and teaching and sharing. And what happens? People reject him. They continue to reject, they tried to kill him. They tried to stone him. Uh, They would run him out of town. Uh, It says he had no place (coughs) to put his head, no pillow for his head. And that everybody just kept rejecting him. He entered into Jerusalem one day and they said, Hosanna, hey, the king is here. And a few days later, they said, as we get ready for Easter, crucify him, get rid of him. We don't want him, and Jesus hung on a cross because of an inhospitable world, a world that says, we don't value you, and we don't want you. And why did Jesus bear that inhospitality? It's so that he could welcome us. This is the good news, that no matter what we've done, where we've been, what we've uh, seen or heard or thought or accomplished, No matter how disappointing that can be for God, we would just call that sin. We've all experienced that. Jesus embraces us and welcomes us. And what does he say? Welcome home. He says, you've got a home. Jesus is preparing a home. And if you don't know Jesus, Jesus may be preparing a home for you, an eternal home where you are welcome. I mean, think of just the best party you've ever been to, the best day that you've ever had. And, and imagine what that was like, what was the feeling? Like when you never wanted it to end, that my friends is what heaven is gonna be like. Sometimes we have this warped view, you know, that we've got these crazy wings and we're playing a harp and eating Philadelphia cream cheese, sitting on a clout, bored out of our minds. That's not heaven. Heaven is take the very best day, the best meal, the best hospitality, And that's heaven. And the early church, right, because they knew they had a hospitable God, and and they saw what the world did to Jesus, and yet he welcomes us. And the hope of a hospitable heaven, they created a movement out of their kitchens and living rooms. Before there were aisles and pews and, and steeples, it was people meeting in their homes, that people were just meeting there and encouraging and welcoming one another. And the power of the gospel grew through hospitality. Last week, Pastor Sawyer talked about just the early church's commitment, right, to we're gonna fast a few days so we can give some food to somebody else. Lucian of Samasota, he was not a friend of Christianity. He he was trying to kind of erase Christianity. He didn't value them, but he marveled at some of the things that they did. And uh, he said, sometimes when people were in jail, uh, the Christians would do Several different things. Sometimes it says, he wrote, they sometimes protested the wrongful arrest of their brothers and sisters and asked for their release. They went and said, hey, this is wrong. But some in the community went and slept in the jail and ate with the prisoners just so they would not be alone. That's hospitality. And that's divine hospitality. It's not just a few friends over for an hour or strangers saying, hey, stay another night. But it's people who are far from God coming back and discovering that they have a home with him. And so my prayer, as we're talking about we the church, is that the church, it would be as hospitable as we can, that when we gather, that there would be this radical hospitality, people would be welcome. And so for those of you, if you're watching online, here's a few things I would encourage you. When you're watching, if you're watching on Sunday mornings during kind of the live services, would you, chat in the chat? Would you welcome others? Would you say, hey, we're glad we're here. Would you even try to get to know each other? I understand people maybe aren't ready to come back or it's easier or maybe you're living a distance, but could you welcome other people who are there? I encourage you with our Easter services. we got great Good Friday and Easter services. Would you be inviting people? Would you send people an invitation and be able to join them? Or maybe would you consider maybe inviting someone to your home and watching the service together? Maybe saying, hey, would you kind of come, let's have like an Easter brunch or maybe a Good Friday gathering, or, or maybe it's Sunday or Saturday, maybe it's in between. Would you gather and say, hey, can we watch a service together? And I invite us as we the church to be the most hospitable place to show people the true gospel. And here's one other thing that you can invite people to It's our Alpha program. It's in person at our campus, or it's also online. So you can join online or invite someone. And just to give you a little bit of insight into what Alpha is, take a look at this video. Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather gonna be like? How am I gonna fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions, like why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more life than this? I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with, is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. Supposed to be a scientist. At 28, uh, I had gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. You know, my girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a beamer, and I was so unhappy. It was a realization, maybe, that I would, I would never find happiness where I was looking for it. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, we'd be, like, invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken and made it a beautiful art piece. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. No no question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. We are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, a meaning. Well, my prayer is, again, that we would be just a very hospitable place. Can we pray together? Father, I just pray that just like the early church, that that convergence, that we surrender everything to you, that we don't hold back. And Father, I pray that we would surrender our time and our home and our welcome, that we would be on the lookout for strangers, that we would be on the lookout for people who need to hear about the good news of Jesus, that we would be a welcoming, hospitable people, that we would point people to who you are, what Jesus did for us, and what our heavenly home is going to be like. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.